Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, the podcast about those New Hampshire bills that don't necessarily make the news, but still could impact you. Every bill gets a public hearing and a vote in the full House and Senate in New Hampshire. We're here to tell you about some of those lesser-known ones and encourage you to get involved. We give you the unbiased facts, break down the pros and cons, and encourage you to speak up. I'm Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. And I'm Mike Dunbar, the Content Editor for Citizens Count. Today, we're talking about something that probably just about all of us remember about being a kid, and that is eating lunch in the school cafeteria. Ah, yes, the sights, the smells, I remember it all. I I will say, though, so not a big fan of the whole sort of ambiance of school cafeterias. <laughs> and and also, the I felt a little uncomfortable. You didn't like that? Oh, the- well, I was thinking more like the, the school lunch smells. And I will say this right away. Like, I never, I'm, I'm slightly unqualified on this episode because I never once bought a school lunch because my mom was super, super like, we pack our healthy lunches. And she also did this thing that really embarrassed me as a child, which was um, back in the day when all of the like yogurt containers had lids, she would always wash those out and reuse them as Tupperware. So basically <laughs> most of my lunch looked like I was eating strange food out of reused yogurt containers. And as a child, I was very like, no, this is the worst. But but like, let, let's be real that that actually like the fact that I had enough always had food in front of me in the lunch cafeteria is in some ways a really lucky it's a huge blessing Mm -hmm. and lunchtime can be very challenging and stigmatizing and embarrassing for kids who can't even pay for their school lunch and so we have reports around the country about kids being given like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches instead of a hot lunch or they're having their hot meals like thrown out in like a public demonstration. And these things aren't necessarily happening in New Hampshire about yet. Like we'll talk about that later on, like what's going on in New Hampshire. But in recent years, we do know that New Hampshire schools are definitely struggling to pay for all this lunch debt. That's right, because there are a lot of these kids that um, are finding themselves in this position. So in recent years, Grand State schools have run into major issues regarding school lunch debt. Uh, the, one of the most famous examples is Claremont. Uh, parents owed over $30,000 in unpaid lunch charges just a few years ago. And even after an anonymous donor came forth from the community to help pay down this debt with this incredible donation, it very quickly grew back to almost where it was. So the coronavirus has put kind of an interesting spin on this because Right now, um, the feds, like I, 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 there was a waiver last year so that everyone could get free lunch. lunch. But at the same time, um, we're also seeing food insecurity growing in New Hampshire. You know, people right now, there are certainly programs, whether it's extended unemployment or the other uh, coronavirus relief funds that are coming down that are sort of keeping families afloat. But there's also reports I've seen that I think it was something like one in four New Hampshire families isn't sure how they're going to pay all their bills, including food bills this month. Right, exactly. And meanwhile, schools are challenged to get parents to complete the forms that qualify the students for free and reduced lunch. Uh, Last year, the federal government waived some of the requirements for free school lunch to ensure that every needy student got a meal during the coronavirus shutdown. Uh, When schools started offering all students free meals, though, many families that usually filled out the paperwork to qualify for free lunch stopped submitting those federal forms. And 
now the schools are looking at less state and federal funding based on the number of students officially filing for free and reduced uh, school lunches. So it's, you know, as with everything else in life, coronavirus has thrown a huge wrench in this whole debate. Huge, huge wrench. So because it's like right now, um, you know, I haven't seen the exact statistics in the moment, but it's presumably with the federal reimbursement being looser. Right now, schools aren't necessarily facing the exact problem of school lunch debt, but I can see how it could be a big problem once the coronavirus kind of wraps up, knock on wood, um, because you're potentially looking at fewer kids signed up for reimbursement, but more kids actually in need. Right. And then that lunch debt could just skyrocket. So um, the other kind of factor that plays into this is New Hampshire also has a much lower participation in public assistance programs in general compared to other states. So... The New Hampshire Fiscal Policy Institute recently hosted a panel on food insecurity. And Laura Milliken, who's the executive director of New Hampshire Hunger Solutions, said that less than half of eligible New Hampshire families are enrolled in programs such as women, infants, and children, or known as WIC. So basically the idea is we don't know if it's lack of public awareness or stigma around signing up for public assistance. But even when people could get reimbursement or help or whatever that looks like to pay for food, they're not always going to take advantage of that. So that's part of what contributes to school lunch debt, because even if sometimes even if kids could qualify, the the forms aren't getting filed, people aren't signing up, they don't want to do it, whatever it might be. And so this is this is where schools are at. The question is, how do you recoup lunch debt without doing something to shame the kids? Because right. ultimately, it's it's not the kids, it's the parents, right? So mm-hmm. All right. So this is a whole long introduction about what's going on with school lunch money. But we're really talking about HB 202, which is a bill in the New Hampshire House this year to address part of the issue. Mike, why don't you tell us a bit about the bill and break it down? HB 202 adds some new mandates to an existing law, RSA 189.11-A, which has to do with school food programs. Among other things, the existing law requires schools to offer lunches to students either for free or at a reduced cost if their family meets certain federal income eligibility guidelines. And I believe the existing law also does require school lunch payment policies to quote unquote, ensure that no student will be subject to different treatment from the standard school lunch meal or school cafeteria procedures. Right. So HB 202 gets much more specific about that. The bill would add a section to this current law that would codify the following things. So first of all, students couldn't be identified or stigmatized publicly for failing to pay for a meal or owing a meal debt. Uh, Two, students couldn't be asked to do chores or other work around the school to pay off this debt. Um, schools would have to communicate directly with the child's parent or guardian about any meal debts, not with the student themselves. So they could, they could send a, a discreet note home or something like that, but they couldn't tell the child about it. Uh, and then schools that participate in federal breakfast or lunch programs wouldn't be allowed to give students who qualify for free or reduced meals, uh, food that isn't available to the rest of the students. So for example, uh, students couldn't, be given cheese sandwiches uh, if they couldn't afford to pay the normal price while other kids are getting lasagna and breadsticks with salad on the side, you know. Oh my gosh, you're making me hungry. I I knew this was going to happen. Sorry, we discussed before this episode that it was inevitable. Continue. It was inevitable. 
this bill began its life as HB 1127 in the New Hampshire House last year. That bill, like so many other bills, uh, was passed by its committee, but it fell victim to the coronavirus shutdown. At a recent bill hearing, no one from the public stood up to talk about a child being stigmatized during the school lunch debt in New Hampshire. So I guess that's kind of good news. But there are stories from other states about students being barred from senior activities, limited meal choices like that cheese sandwich you talked about, or receiving neon colored debt notices to take home. So that one I read about it, it like they get basically like a bright pink or bright green or bright orange basically receipt that would sit on their lunch tray that they'd have to, you know, like carry that through the cafeteria, like very mm. sort of scarlet letter type of yeah. scenario. Yeah. Um, so it's not impossible that New Hampshire schools could adopt similar policies if school lunch debt skyrockets, you know, which maybe we're looking at after the coronavirus. And, you know, these policies unjustly humiliate young students who have no control over their parents' money. Right, right, exactly. So proponents of HB 202 feel New Hampshire law should make uh, clear that a child should not be stigmatized for owing lunch debt. Uh, you know, conversations about money owed to the schools should be discussed directly between school officials and parents. Uh, while some of what this bill contains may already be addressed in some ways in other parts of law or federal rules, codifying these specific mandates into New Hampshire law will help make sure that they are enforced across the board. So basically, like, you know, the, the, the law says uh, they can't be treated differently. Right. But HB 202 says very specifically, like, no chores, no no bright neon notices, no, no, no cheese, none of there. that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, but there's there's always people on the other side, right? What are the opponents saying? Yep, always. So opponents uh, to this bill point out that school lunch debt is reaching crisis levels, not only in New Hampshire, but throughout the United States. Uh, one report from 2019 I found, uh, a whopping 75% of U.S. school districts reported student meal debt. Uh, while no one wants to see their kids stigmatized, uh, schools and school districts can't afford to carry that kind of financial burdens indefinitely. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, backdrop New Hampshire, where we hear all the time about school funding problems that, you know, right. I can see that being challenging. Um, okay, but so what does the Department of Education have to say about the bill? Yeah, so according to Sherry White from the Office of uh, Nutrition Programs and Services with the Department of Education, many of these protections are already in place. As you said earlier, New Hampshire law states that no student will be subject to different treatment from uh, the standard school lunch meal or school cafeteria procedures. Uh, White was also unaware of these instances where students are told they have to work off their uh, lunch debt by doing chores. So, you know, that yeah. that was her take on it. Interesting. Interesting. And, and I mean, it's possible that people are, aren't coming forward. Like it's possible we just don't know the stories, but certainly there's there's not any you know, widespread uproar or specific instances we know. So so depending on which side of the issue you're on, this bill is either proactively protecting New Hampshire kids from future lunch shaming, or it's adding unnecessary restrictions on schools when there's not a clear, clear problem. So, mm -hmm. all right, listeners, if you want to get involved in this bill, HB 202 is currently in the House Education Committee and it has yet to get a full House vote. That's like a lot of bills this year because the House is being challenged to get 400 people to meet together during the coronavirus. So there haven't been a lot of voting days. And some bills are also getting held back in committee and aren't going to come to a vote next year. But 
If you are interested in voicing your opinion either for or against this bill, you can always start by finding out who your representative is and contacting them. If you go to the elected officials section on the Citizens Count website, just pick your town and it pulls up everyone who represents you in the House, the Senate, all the way up to the feds. Although don't contact the feds on this one because this is a bill in the state legislature. And if this bill makes it from the House to the Senate, there will be another public hearing. So even though the public hearing in the House has already done and over, the, if the Senate gets the bill, it has to have a public hearing. Every bill in the New Hampshire legislature gets a public hearing in the House. And if it passes the House, it gets a public hearing in the Senate and vice versa. Okay, Mike, it's everybody's favorite part of the show, only in New Hampshire. What do you have for us today? All right. So this might be one of my favorite fun facts so far. Have you ever driven up the Mount Washington uh, auto road? Never, never. I, I have seen many cars that have that bumper sticker <laughs> bumper that this sticker, car yeah. climbed Mount Washington. Um, but I don't, I don't, I really love my Hyundai Elantra, but I don't have complete faith that my, that it's up to the task. Yeah, it's a, it's a harrowing experience, as you might imagine. Lots of uh, great views, but uh, lots of looking down. Uh, or trying not to. Having done that, uh, in fact, I, I vaguely remember doing this as a kid, and for some reason I thought it would make sense to wear, like, shorts and a T-shirt. And it wasn't, like, winter or anything, but it was definitely too cold <laughs> to be on top of Mount Washington in shorts Come and Come on, that's, like, so. classic New Hampshire, though, being like, yeah, I can true. totally wear a T-shirt for this. Uh, it's fine for me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I don't know if you know this, but in 2017, a man named uh, Travis Pastrana set the record for the fastest drive of the Mount Washington Auto Road. His race uh, was done in just five minutes and uh, 44 seconds from base to summit. I just want, okay. want to let that sink in. He, well, yeah, because isn't up, it like, it's like uh, close to eight miles, right? It, it, I'm, yeah, isn't it like the, um, it, there's a way of wording it. I, I should have looked this up. Is it the highest peak or something it's not like there's a difference between tall and high i remember uh, uh, but yeah whatever it's whatever it's the mount washington we, we're, it's we're mount washington. proud and it's very exactly. intimidating yes it's very big very very <laughs> very high tall up. yes um but, but yeah just that just blew just my like mind plowed his way on up and uh i can only imagine the ear popping that must have happened <laughs> oh true yeah well and the best part is that this was not like his uh, lone expedition that he decided to set out on. This is a thing. Uh, it's the Mount Washington Hill Climb Auto Race. And it started in 1904 because, of course, this sounds like something that people in 1904 <laughs> would want to do. And it ended in 1961, but then it restarted again in the 90s. So, uh, you know, if you think you can uh, do better than Travis, maybe you have uh, an opportunity to uh, see if your own car can uh, not only climb Mount Washington, but uh, win the race up Mount Washington. Yeah, my car can. My car can't. Maybe my <laughs> husband's old Jeep Cherokee, which has been, he actually, he's actually passed on. It's technically not his anymore. He gave it to like the, the kids of a, of a family friend, but he still talks about it nostalgically because he's like, it was a beast. It was a beast. No one could kill it. And I, I would really enjoy that if, if some random New Hampshire person with, with their like their winter car, you know, a lot of families have that winter car where it's just like, it'll get through. I would love right. it if someone like that just showed up and, and just won arbitrarily. That would be fantastic. 
Yeah, I, right. there's definitely a video out there of this. So uh, check it out, everybody. If oh, there's a video. Oh, that's a good tip. I will yes. definitely check out that video. All right. That wraps it up for our episode today. You can find more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd also like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting. Our theme music is composed by Mike Dunbar, the one and only. Lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be a part of what makes New Hampshire by the people, for the people. Mm-hmm.